Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Sportsbet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for Sportsbet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally. There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. Sportsbet Montana is a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sportsbet Montana location or by using the Sportsbet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sportsbet Montana launched almost a year ago, and in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sportsbet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sportsbet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. I knew you'd like this one. How can you not love that? Man, I know. That drop right there is sweet. It's so funny, too, because Prince was almost... he, He was pigeonholed into being like pop music because of... Certain elements that were sort of, but but if you understand the nuance, in no way similar to Michael Jackson, right? No. They're, not, they're in no way similar, but he was pigeonholed into that like he was like the alternative Michael Jackson or something. The, the 80s were all about that. I, if, you, if, you, if you look at that, it was like Michael J. Fox or Ralph Macchio. It was Michael Jackson or Prince. It was like you watched ABC or NBC. You drank Coke or Pepsi. Like th- the 80s and the early 90s were so polarizing. You wore Reeboks or Nikes. Like there was just this, you had to have this like either or kind of thing. And the 80s was filled with that. But like that song, I Want to Be Your Lover by Prince, it's, it's gained traction uh, in recent years, especially since his death. Mm-hmm. It was something, if you were into funk music, which at the time, though, was sort of post-disco, so sort of not in vogue. So guys like Niles Rogers, guys like uh, Rick James, James there's yeah. there a couple that had a, a little bit of a mainstream crossover, but not really. And Prince was, he was cutting funk albums, his yep. first couple yep. albums. And then that became 
more R&B when he did Purple Rain. And then because of just like the success of some of the singles of Purple Rain, all of a sudden then pigeonholed like he was a Michael Jackson. Yeah. And it was never like that. No, I, th- I think I think his his abilities are much on a much different vein of life than Michael's was. Nuanas now, 1029 ESPN Missoula. I'm Coulter Nuanas. We do this each and every weekday. It's your one-stop shop for all things sports. And regime's here. Hip-hop, funk music, all things music. Each and every weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. SWX Montana Television as well. If you want to watch the Bobcat Sunny Hall scrimmage uh, tomorrow, 1 p.m. kickoff from Bobcat Stadium. It will, it will be here live on SWX Montana. If you missed anything in the first hour of the show, we talked about some of the great villains in sports history. Renee Naselrod from Vertex Fitness swung by. We also had our student of the week uh, of this week, and we'll continue to follow up with some of those over the coming days and weeks as well. You find all of it on the podcast. Podcast is proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications, the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel, as well as Sports Bet Montana. If you want to give us a call or shoot us a text, 406-361-3688. That's 361-3688. We did get a text from a listener asking if we're going to read the essay that won our Grizz Greats painting contest. It was won by Aaron Held, and Aaron uh, is actually a former long snapper for the Grizzlies, played for the Grizzlies about a handful of year, uh, years ago, and uh, his story is really good. So I will pull up that essay. We will read that here uh, before the end of this second hour and take you into your weekend with a great story from a former Grizz about uh, a long flight home from South Dakota. Regime Seabrook joining me in studio like he does each and every Friday from uh, for the foreseeable future, as long as his foot doesn't fall off. Hey. That's, that's one other thing we talked about in hour one. Regime got bit by a hover spider. That's why he's not standing up. Uh, my man is Sorry, a little bit gimped up. So uh, we hope you heal up fast. Thank you. It's not affecting your thought patterns, though, so that's a good thing. Oh, no, never, never, never. The brain is always working on the optimal level. So th- this is a broad conversation I want to have about just the state of college athletics because I think that there's a variety of different factors that are all coalescing in both negative and positive fashion. And I think that we're reaching a breaking point, particularly when it comes to the gigantic multi-million and even sometimes billion dollar revenue generators that are FBS power five college football and power five. And to a certain extent, we'll just call it power seven because the big East does have a, a pretty big piece of the pie in men's college basketball. Agreed. But I think that we're gravitating towards a variety of different things. But the one thing that I worry about on the small school level, on the on the, the bottom half of Division One, which includes the Big Sky Conference, includes Montana and Montana State, is that I, I worry about the the overall landscape of the level of play being fundamentally altered because I think forever and ever and ever there's been this perception and in my mind a fact that your athletic department is the front porch to your university. So having sports is essential to attracting students. I think that having sports is not that essential to attracting students anymore. If you have a great sports program, if you're Ohio State, or you're, if, if it's something that's culturally relevant on your college campus, then it still is an attraction. Agreed. And I think that I don't think that there's a lot of kids out there now that are choosing to go to schools because of their sports programs, but they might choose to not go to a school because they don't have football or they don't have men's college basketball, right? So I'm not saying that it's completely over. I do think that students still do enjoy the experience of going to games, but I don't think it's as big of a deciding factor. I think if you don't have it, maybe uh, it is as far as a no, but I don't think there's as many kids that are choosing to go to schools uh, because of sports teams. Therefore, then... 
over this last year to 18 months, we've, we've had this experience where schools have been shown what it's like to not have football. How does it affect the campus community? How does it affect your enrollment? When, when the COVID regulations and things are, are, are pushed to the side, does Eastern Washington see any drop in attendance from not having football, but then returning to having football in the spring? I don't know, but I just think that there's this weird judgment day that's coming because I think if you give administrations, especially ones where the school has little to no tradition in the sports, if you give administrations this example of what it's like without, now they have a reason to go without. And I think Eastern Washington is a great example. They're, by the end of this month or maybe next month, within the next four to six weeks, they're going to have to make an announcement on what their future is. Are they going to stay where they're at as an FCS member in the Big Sky Conference? Are they going to drop to Division Two, which would reduce their football scholarships by about half? half. And then you could eliminate probably some women's sports that exist for Title IX. And all of that is an ugly situation, but it is a way to save money. And so I just wonder, you know, if, if you've been like Eastern Washington, as successful as Eastern has been, and it's still a gigantic question mark, what the positive impact of sports, specifically football, is on your campus community, then if we've given the institution and the administration reasons to get rid of it, I just wonder how many dominoes are going to fall. I'm not saying that, you know, right now there's about 245 Division I schools that play football, between 120 in the FBS and 125 in the FCS. You just wonder how many of those are going to be impacted. I'm not saying it's going to be one-third or anything crazy like that, but I do think we're going to see a, a small little erosion of of uh, schools, particularly when it comes to small schools playing football. Yeah, it's kind of it's going to be like succeeding from the nation. You know what I mean? The, the the landscape, if this continues to come into fruition, the landscape of college football backslash college basketball is going to change dramatically and drastically. To me, Coulter, it, it's, there's a larger issue. When the pandemic broke and college football was going to be canceled, what, what I saw and, and spoke to family and friends about was how scary it is that these great academic institutions are being built and led on by football. Like the fact, the fact of the matter that our athletics are driving our academics is an issue in this country. So to me, the fundamental uh, issues that these universities are going through have a lot less to do with each individual, you know, school, power five, what have you. It's a societal issue. We've put so much money and emphasis on sports that we've lost sights of why universities are here. We're not here for football. We're here to educate our kids. You know what I mean? And as much as I love football too, but when I think about going to college, I didn't go to college for football. I went to college for college. So when we talk about this very rapid, like Eastern Washington, our, our cousin to the, to, to the West, it's scary. It's very scary. And what I don't like about it is, is the biggest thing is something you touched upon is the reverberation sure. of, of all of a sudden you, you're cutting programs just because... That's thousands of kids across the country that now don't have do not have that opportunity just because of politics and or dollars, which usually go hand in hand. And you, as somebody that's coached a lot and mentored young people, and myself, somebody that's been around young people that have participated in Division One college sports for fifteen years now, the pursuit of it, the challenge of it, the uh, discipline that it teaches you, the the endurance and the perseverance, and if you can make it to the end, no matter what your success level was, the accomplishment that that is, it's fundamentally uh, ex- excellent for kids, and Agreed. and and it's it is a part of education mm-hmm. more than anything because it's it's not about the money. That's why I get so mad when they they the money gets in the way of everything else, right? Mm-hmm. 
the Clemson men's track team, it shouldn't be about making money. It should be about displaying the pride of your school, displaying your exceptional athletic gifts, enduring the 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 uh, the marathon that is a college track career. No matter what event you run, you're it's going to be a grind because you have to train so often, so and, and you're going to be injured incrementally almost always it's almost inevitable in, in track and field and so uh, that's just one example but I, I just think that that's where it's flawed is that I do think that regardless of the revenue produced the um, the existence of athletes on campus in a lot of ways sets the tone for everybody else on campus you can say this that the other thing about ath- athletes and their position in the in the hierarchy of a social structure but Oftentimes, those are the leaders when it comes to health. They're the leaders when it comes mm-hmm. to to just being leaders, leadership qualities, being dominant characters. Most athletic departments, the student athletes have better grade point averages. Most athletic departments are not like some of the big schools where it is a meat market, where they are screwing with the grades, giving everybody right, a two. Right. You know, most places, like at the University of Montana, pretty much every athletic department has a three point two or a higher GPA, which is significantly higher than the rest of the student body. So all of those things is good for a campus community. But then on the flip side, the reason like Eastern's going through this right now is not that Eastern itself is not sustainable athletically. It's that they've experienced a lack of enrollment. Therefore, then they have budget cuts that are going across, deficits. A, across campus. Yeah. And the faculty is arguing, well, if we're laying off professors and we're cutting departments and programs, why is this athletic department that operates at a deficit that is subsidized 80 plus percent of its budget by the state, why isn't it incurring some sort of cuts as well? So, I mean, it's a dichotomy, right? Because it does add to the campus culture, but it also, from a pure business standpoint, it's not inarguable that this is a solution that that people can go down, right? Schools can go down. Yeah, the, the flip side for it, you know, we'll just take uh, the pocket sample serving size of Eastern Washington. Say they do go D2 culture. The beauty of their program is even though they'll take a shot in the arm, they'll kick the system in, in in the shin on the backside because of the type of programs that they run. So right now they're going to take it on the chin, but down the road they'll make back what they've lost just due to just due to who they are. Um, what I what I don't like about it is it hurts Big Sky Conference like that. That just you know back to that for whole sure. reverberation thing like that. That was a quick trip for us. That's you know outside of <clears throat> MSU. That's a great rival. Like, you know, less than four hours away. And, and it just, I don't know, the state the state of the world, let alone college football, it's just in flux right now. Speaking of rivalries, Nuana is now 1029 ESPN Missoula, statewide television, SWX Montana TV, Regime Seabrook, joining me, Coulter Nuana. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I do think that there's still, still fierce rivalries in the Big Sky Conference. I think that the omnipresent nature of the rivalry between Montana and Montana State makes it so that there is a, a, a square divide. And I think that uh, both amongst the fan bases, the alumni bases, and current and former players. And I think it would be very rare to ever see a guy transfer from one school to the other. Mm-hmm. That said, not not very long ago, relatively... In the, you know, the mid-1990s, Idaho was still in the Big Sky Conference, and Idaho was Montana's secondary rival. And I think if you asked most Montana fans, they would tell you it's 1A and 1B who they hated the most. And when we did this Grizz Greats, the 1995 National Champions Series, the the one regular, or I guess the, the, the final regular season loss of Montana's season, that 1995 season, I think they only had three. One of them was to Washington State. Um and then another was to Idaho. And we interviewed all those guys from the 95 National Championship team, and they all said 
unquestionably that the team they hated the most in the league was Idaho. Not Montana State, not Eastern Washington, Idaho. What I'm getting at now is uh, a couple days ago, the Grizz Bens basketball team signed uh, three players during the opening of the late signing period. And they signed Lionel Martin Jr., who was a junior college transfer from Otero Junior College. Uh, they signed Jonathan Braggs, who's a combo guard out of Bishop Gorman, a powerhouse down in Las Vegas, a, a prep mm-hmm. kid. And then they signed Scott Blakeney, who's a graduate transfer from Idaho. Nobody Blake deny. And I thought, how ironic. Idaho's only only been back in the uh, – Idaho left the, the Big Sky Conference for 20 years, and they've only been back in the league now for six. But that would have been unheard of 25 years ago. Travis DeCure, when he was playing at Montana, would have never transferred to Idaho and vice versa. There was, no. There's no Idaho guy no. that was going to be accepted if he transferred to Montana. So I think that, to your point, though, like in terms of rivalries, I think that some, in cer- certain ways some of the secondary rivalries are dying. Yeah, and that's the, that's the kind of stuff that you I like when I look at Big Sky football, I I circle those two games, Eastern Washington, Montana State. Like those are just two games. It's non-negotiable. Not going to miss them. When you start taking away some of that historical, you know, going back to like the villains, you start taking some of these roles away from the game. It's going to impact, affect, and affect anyone who's included. Um, I just hope that. I don't know, man. Things can just kind of turn turn around because I need Eastern Washington. Montana needs Eastern Washington. Uh, and that's the irony, and I've said this on the show multiple times, it's sort of become my my tagline here when we're talking about Eastern Washington. But the fact of the matter is that there's a there's a decent portion of, of people in the Pacific Northwest that have that have Eastern Washington uh, allegiance, let's say. That number pales in comparison to the, the number of people that live in just the state of Montana alone that care about Eastern Washington. Right. There's right, way right, more right. people in Montana that follow Montana and Montana State that fiercely care about Eastern Washington. Agreed. I would say that there's between five and maybe even ten times as many people in the state of Montana that passionately care about the existence of Eastern Washington in the Big Sky as a rival as there is that care about that, you know, tailgate before Eastern Washington games. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The only benefit to having them go down to D2, that's... So I don't know. We might be able to get a couple more athletes. Like when you, when sure. you and unless someone else pops up within the region, it becomes you know it replaces that. But no question, that's the that's the only positive for it. Well, people people ask me all the time, and we've been analyzing this uh, just endlessly and, and very in depthly forever. But the arc of football in Montana, the arc of the rise of the Grizz, the arc of the the ending of the streak by the Cats, and then the you know the systematic trying of evening the bars that culminated in last year, and then all of a sudden now the last 18 matchups, it's 9-9, nine to nine, all that stuff. But people ask me, well, what, what are the biggest factors from when Montana won 119 games between 2000 and 2009? The most in the history of college football to that point. North Dakota State has now had a better decade. I think they've actually blown that record out of the water by a good 20 wins. But Montana, 119 wins in one decade, which is the most in the history of Division I college football. They won the Big Sky Conference every year from 2000-2009. 12 straight conference titles, the second most in college football history. Only Oklahoma, Bud Wilkerson's Oklahoma teams in the late 40s and early 50s had more conference titles. And Montana, I mean, they were, they were peerless in a lot of different ways. And people ask me, what are the factors that went into the Grizz taking a step down? And I think one of the most underrated factors, to your point, is that Montana used to dominate the recruiting in Eastern Washington. They were getting all the dudes from the Coeur d'Alene through, you know, let's call it Ellensburg slash Walla Walla, you know, like the the center of the Set state. East to center. Right. They yeah. were out recruiting Eastern Absolutely. in that area. They were letting Eastern get all the West Side Washington guys, you know, Seattle, Tacoma, Puyallup, whatever. 
but they were dominating the east side of mm-hmm. it. And they had so many good players from there. You know, Craig Mettler, our good buddy, he's Sentinel track coach. He's oh, from Walla Mets. He's from Walla Walla. Yes, you is. know, I mean, they had Tyler Hobbs from Spokane. You know, a bunch of good players from that neck of the woods. A bunch of good offensive linemen from there too. But that fell off, and I think that now Bobby Hawk's been going back that way to recruit. So it's twofold, right? When you're winning that recruiting battle out there in Eastern Washington, you're helping yourself, and you're hurting Eastern Washington as well. Uh, some might people say, "Oh well." <laughs> to bring this to bring this all the way back around though here's here's the fundamental issue that I think is looming for college football as a whole regardless of who legitimizes or delegitimizes or perhaps cuts football I think that there is a potential scenario on the horizon in which the Power Five has already split off from the group of five. That, that's just the way that it is. I mean, the college football playoff is not administered by the NCAA. It's administered by an independent board that was created by the Power Five conference commissioners. They can spin it all they want saying, hey, there could be teams from outside of the Power Five that get in the playoffs. The closest we've seen was South Florida. They're from the AAC, which is it should be called the Power Six, or maybe they should just be alone as the tier of six one team because they have more resources than anyone in the MAC or the Mountain West or anything, anything like that. I mean, South Florida has 60,000 kids at the school, so it's not like that's a mid-major school. That's not no. Wyoming or Boise State getting in the college football playoffs. So I guess my point is then twofold. One, I think that the gap is going to continue to widen because mm-hmm. the rich are going to continue to get richer. richer. Yep. The TV contracts, the sales, now this, the the name, likeness, and image where these guys, I mean, now how is Alabama or Clemson ever going to lose a recruiting battle? If you can offer everything they have to offer, pro development, flawless facilities, unbelievable opportunity, full cost of attendance, stipend money, Pell Grants, and then all of a sudden you can say, hey, kid, you come shoot a commercial for me for the truck dealership, and I'm going to pay you 500 grand to sign at Alabama. It, it just topples everything. everything. So, so then my question for you then is, what is the future, but more, more uh, aptly, what is the legitimacy of everybody that doesn't get a seat at the table? In other words, why would you ever want to be schools like Wyoming and Utah State and Boise State? You, you're getting your conference-wide TV money. That's one of the reasons. But other than that, you have no legitimate shot to compete for a national championship. This goes back to, like, fifth-grade science. For every action, this equal or opposite, right? What's going to wind up happening is the, the elitism aspect of what the Power Five is bringing to the table will cause a rift. And you will see the shift in, in fandom. It's like when you watch NBA games. The people sitting in the first three rows of those of those games, they don't give a rat's patootie about the NBA. On their cell phones. They're on their Instagram. cell phones. They're making money. They don't care about that. Those are those same people who are you know putting money into the Power Five and creating that separation. The real people, like at a game, are the ones that are up in the nosebleeds who want to see that. So when the shift happens between the, the, the business aspects of the Power Five but the passion of the game left over for everyone else... People might go back to the passion of the game, um, especially in a highly politicized world right now. People don't don't want to deal with that. Well, and then, and then, so this is where I think that there needs to be a re-tiering of Division One. I, I it it should have been done years ago. The Power Five. Sh- is, is going to split, or it, it, regardless if it's in, in verbiage that it's split, it already is split. It already is. I mean, th- think, think of this. Oregon has a hard time buying a seat at the table. That's how lucrative and prestigious you have to be to be able to buy a seat at the table. And Oregon's got deep pockets. 
Washington has a tough time. Stanford, tough time buying a seat at the table. Texas has never even got a sniff. They got the money to do it, but they can't. They can't get out of their own way. But even you know, Oklahoma is like one tier out the outside looking in, even though they've been there a little bit. But right. I mean, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. Regardless, what I'm saying though is that I think there needs to be a restructuring then of the Division One level, and because then you could return to regional rivalries, the restructuring of of playing for the passion of the game. In other words. Wyoming and Utah State and Nevada, those are regional schools that are right around where we're at right now. Mm -hmm. They have no chance of ever sitting at that table. None, 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 none. none. So how do you regalvanize their fan base? And it's not as if their fan base is fading because most schools, the fan bases, they like the FBS. They like being on the Mountain West Network. They like playing in the bowl games. They like going on vacation and watching their team. But regardless, I think that you could restructure and rebrand if you let the Power Five fracture and leave and then you restructured what's the middle area you take all the group of fives and then some of the best in the fcs the mm-hmm. montana montana states mm-hmm. james madison north dakota states of the world mm-hmm. and remake the conferences and then have that level play as we do right now under a playoff mode because now montana montana state are going to have some schools that are far out in front of them financially but they could re-engage the upset element by then okay now now montana montana state aren't the top dogs they're the underdogs and i think it would it could be a pretty widespread and appealing thing for college football fans everywhere to me that scenario that you just came with that's that's more appealing that's more appealing than in and you know i'm a michigan state guy that's more appealing than me watching michigan state play ohio state um i also know that those kids at that point are playing for something that isn't linked to a to a to a paycheck there's there's something about the quality of that if you want to sign me to a five hundred dollar uh, endorsement, sometimes that 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 um, I don't know that incentive to be the best that you can be isn't there. Right. You know, all of a sudden it's like I got paid. Next, I'm I'm gonna hang out in the cut. Next, and it just it takes away from aspects of the game because of what money does to people. You also wonder. This is something I thought about. Are you an Ivy League guy? I can't remember. Yeah, I went to Columbia. You went to Columbia. That's yeah. right. Okay, so. I was thinking about this from an Ivy League perspective. For the love of the game. For the love of the game, but on the other side, though, too, in terms of the name, image, and likeness portion of this, there could be some pretty lofty postgraduate promises made now legally. So in other words, you got this kid who's from upstate New York. Mm-hmm. He's a four-star recruit. He's a quarterback. Mm-hmm. But he's also four. He's also a four-point-zero student, mm-hmm. and he's good enough. To, he's good enough academically to get into the Ivy Leagues. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, Yale's saying, "Hey, you come here, you get to play, you know, the purest form of football in a playoff structure." Although the Ivy League has their own playoffs, they don't actually yeah, go to the playoffs. Yeah, the playoffs. But regardless, and we'll make sure that you get a meeting at the table with, you know, said. Hot shot lawyer in New York City when you're done. What do you think of that? Is that good or bad for the game? I don't know, man. That's that's. I got to sit on that. My it's not vi- to say it doesn't already happen, right? I mean, because right. college is all about connections. It's, it's all, all about, about relationships. My, my my initial visceral reaction is it's not good. It's just not good. I um. It just I, it just and as much as I love sports, we just have to, almost at times too much invested in them. Oh, no question. You know, just too too much invested in it. Well, and here's the irony of it all. In terms of, of our spirit and soul connection to sports, there's a pull that's undeniable 
but I think we misperceive it. We turn it into tribalism or we turn it into uh, bloodlust for winning or bloodlust for attention or, um, you know, my team is more prestigious than yours rather than analyzing it as, you know, a coming to adult ceremony or... Hmm. um, I like that. You know, there's so many things that are primal about sports that I think that that's why we, we are so magnetized to them but we 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 th- the common american sports fan thinks they like sports for a different reason than they actually do I agree with that. I like I like sports, football in particular, for the gladiatorial aspect of it. Like as much as I love football and just the base pure form, sure. there is something so Spartacus-esque about football. The crowd, the the emotional wave. For the, sure. You know, do But there's also the ceremony, right? There's the ceremony. The becoming Abs- a man ceremony. Absolutely. It's one of the last great passageways, right? It's one of the last great proving grounds. It's one of the things that I think is missing in our society. I've been talking about this with this coach that I've been that I've been uh, spending some time with and he was talking about how the elimination of a coming an adult, whether it's a coming a man, becoming a man or becoming a woman ceremony, the elimination of that in our culture has been so detrimental. Yeah, you don't under it, it takes away the pecking order. Right. The hierarchical way of thinking and right. sometimes as much as people don't like that conformist draconian type of thing it's needed like oh, 100%. And that's test why we your have metal. 35 year old boys totally we have 50 year old boys no question no doubt we need we need we need that metal testing back in our world i so, like that so this brings us full circle then to then if, if all of this was to happen if, if all if the fracture was to happen i don't think it's a doomsday in fact i think it would be better all the way across the board if it was uh legislated and, and the logistics were smooth and proper but then there's been a lot of talk. I mean, Stanford, for example, was one. Of, there's there's 32 varsity sports that are available at the NCAA level. I believe that Stanford, Ohio State, uh, maybe I'm missing a couple more, but there's less than 10 for sure, maybe even less than five that schools that offer all 32 varsity sports. They can fund all of them. They can fund women's rowing and men's diving and, and crew, crew and, gymnastics and polo and, and gymnastics yeah. and all this stuff, right? But COVID, it showed just how detrimental it could be so quickly because Stanford, I cut, I believe, four sports over the last 18 months. Uh, Minnesota, I can't remember which varsity sports they cut, but they certainly cut sports. Clemson cut men's track. I mean, how do you cut men's track when you're in the heart of South Carolina? I mean, stones throw away from the best track athletes in the country all around you. Um, but it just shows you the impact you could have. So then this is actually then to come back around to a point that Tucker Sargent actually has told me many times uh, on this show and, and, and in other conversations. Is, is it his birthday? It is his birthday. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday Happy birthday, Tuck. That's right. Good memory. Yeah. Um, that the, uh, now I completely lost track. Of Sorry, man. No, like you said it and it, like, you know. It's like, oh, oh, that the, the, the sustainability then would be the club model because the University of Montana right now has a lacrosse program that's been around now since since I was about in college. Speaking about, of about, Tucker. About 15 years. <laughs> Tucker helped uh, basically bring this to Montana. And club is just like the broad way to say because at this point, it's it's a varsity sport. It's just not under the umbrella of the athletic department. But they have a budget. They're raising money. They have a bus. They're you know they're making a travel schedule. They're playing, they're, competing. They're competing. They have equipment, yeah. sponsors, yeah. yada, yada, yada. And why does it exist at the University of Montana? Because there's enough people, even if it's a, a, a corner of the, of the sports-loving population, that want it to happen. Yes. And so that would be my argument then is – if reduced football revenue or reduced men's basketball revenue, like the NCAA tournament not happening in 2020, if that then 
leads to the elimination of a woman's sport or a non-revenue sport of any sort, man or woman, that's unfortunate, but they need to re-strategize. In other words, if because Stanford couldn't earn NCAA tournament money, they had to cut one of their least revenue-producing sports, they should just let it exist on its own and see if they can self-fund it, right? They should right. see if they can raise the money for it and they could take it down. So I, I think that, in other words, all of this is to say there's going to be in my opinion, a gigantic fracturing across college athletics. But fracturing is maybe too harsh of a word because I don't think it's necessarily going to be bad. If it's if it's managed in the proper way, it could be a good thing. I think so, too. I think what it, it may go back to, Coulter, is like how you're talking about these large independent um, entities are kind of taking over for the Power Five. You'll have mid-major entities coming in to kind of pick up where the big boys left off. So now we, we might see a, a big sway in business and how uh, business gets incorporated for these for the back half for the non-Power 5 situations. We may see the, the the advent of new companies that we never heard of because they weren't able to, like as you say, sit at the table with the big boys. So we may see some of what has happened to our government. It may become privatized all along due to big business and having them sustain and, and, and fund it. Last thing on this. What do you think is the biggest worry when it comes to this name, likeness, and image that's going to come down the pipe? I mean, how crazy could this be? You know, because like back when it was illegal, Eric Dickerson's still getting an El Camino dropped off on his front lawn. Now that it's legal, what's the limit? Is there one? I don't. I don't. I don't know. That's a tough one. That's such like an open-ended, ambiguous question and reply. I think that if if someone's going to take your image and likeness, you should be compensated for it. For sure. A la the O'Bannon brothers, that kind of were the pioneers for this movement. I am. People are waking, making way too much money off of the young backs of these young men and women, regardless of the sport or the program. So compensate them for what they are. Like, I don't care that they're getting a college scholarship. You're making billions of dollars. Like, what, what that college scholarship's a drop in the bucket off of what you're making off of one or two of those guys or those girls on those teams. Pay them. Pay them. They deserve it. Give, give it up. I know. There's, there's so many layers to it that's so... Because uh, I totally agree. If, if you are... You yourself, your talents are making an organization money that is profitable, then you deserve to get paid for your time. If somebody's making money off of your image, you also deserve to get paid for that. On the flip side, I think that this is where it gets so so skewed, is the fact that with full cost of attendance and Pell Grants and full-ride scholarships and all these things, let's say you're Regime Seabrook, you're a sophomore defensive uh, tackle for the uh, Clemson Tigers. I'll take that. You are. You have your tuition fully paid for. Room and board books fully paid for. You are also likely receiving probably a thirteen hundred to sixteen hundred dollar a month stipend uh, as part part of your full cost of attendance. So that's sixteen hundred dollars cash money that you can do whatever you want with, unless perhaps you're living in a place that is nicer than what your living expense is. But you can still supplement what your basic right, living right, expense right, 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 is. Right. But then you also have $1,600 of, of expendable income. There's also a chance then that maybe you have a Pell Grant, uh, maybe you have some sort of uh, FAFSA or some sort of student aid, depending on where you came from, what your parents did, how much money right, they made, right, right. whatever. So now all of a sudden, you probably have, I would say, oh, I'd say between ten and $12,000 a semester just in your bank account to do whatever you want with as a, a 20-year-old. Uh, again, there's the dichotomy on one hand, you are part of an organization that is making hundreds of millions of dollars, that is marketing the Clemson brand on a higher level than maybe any other uh, medium that we have. And Clemson Mm -hmm. football is probably their greatest marketing tool as a university. Mm -hmm. 
But are you being overcompensated, undercompensated? Again, we are already giving these guys money, but is it enough? That's where the dichotomy lies, right? Right. I don't think it's enough. You know, I, I'll I'll take the University of Montana. You know how crazy it is watching guys uh, walk into Albertsons at eleven thirty at night, and they are like literally buying food because they have no access to things, right? right. Or they're having to to. I don't know, Rob Peter to pay Paul just sure, to hang out sure, with Mary. Sure. I think that, I think. And that, that's this level. This level is tough. This for level sure. is extremely tough. So with that being said, I just, I think there needs to be some increased, if you're going to give me $24,000 a year for four years, but I'm making you $1.8 million. Right. That's but you have to also think of it, that it's like $24,000 on top of getting your life paid for as well. To some extent. Sure. To some extent, I'm still doing the work to get there. You are. You so are for sure. There's 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 that too. Like you're not giving me a degree for free. I still need to attend class. I still need to show up. I still need to, you know, write my term papers. But there there is there is something to be said that this is their job too. Sure. Like most college athletes, they don't get to work. They well, don't you actually in fact in fact in a lot of leagues not even allowed to work. Yeah, because you need to, you, when would you, when would you? Totally. How could you? Here's the here's the biggest detriment. This this is actually inarguable. This is not even a one side or the other. There's no dichotomy to this one. This this is just the fact of the matter. The fact that scholarships are, are year to year now, so they're non they're non renewed automatically. You're playing for your spot every year, and I think that the thing that probably gets lost in between the cracks more than any other scenario yeah. is when you bring a kid in from uh, an impoverished situation or you know a less than affluent place or you know you're recruiting out of Mississippi and this kid's coming from the backwoods back delta never really had anything never had any opportunity low education low income all that and then you give him all this stuff that's mm-hmm. great and it's a great opportunity but then maybe he doesn't fulfill your expectations so within a year two years three years bam he's out mm-hmm. what happens to that guy he gets marginalized he gets pushed to the edge of society this is last chance you in a nutshell right then the, these guys they never had it it probably would have been better if they never would have tasted it then they tasted it and then it all goes away what does that do to the spiral of your life i think that happens way more often than people realize yeah and that's the that's the that's the downside the ugly side to sports um that is something that i am hoping to as i engage upon thinking about getting this doctorate degree is helping some of that out. Um, you can't give a kid from the backwoods Delta a million dollars and expect him not to go crazy with sure. it. Or um, even $12,000. Or even $12,000. There's a, there's a, and let alone like a place where you have a training table and you can say, Hey chef, make me a steak and some pasta. Like you never had that before. Ever. Yeah. You never like had Patrick that. Willis talk, Patrick Willis talked about that when he got to Ole Miss. He's like, dude, I never had like a full meal or pantry or anything in my life. And all of a sudden I get to eat three meals a day. Like no wonder I you get so swole. Like, it's just automatic. You're, yeah. you're eating for the first time. But to, to go back to that, that is called cultural acclimation. We, right. need to, we need to, and this is something I want to do so bad at the University of Montana. You take a kid from South Central LA and you plop him in Missoula, Montana, right. treat him like a demigod, and then he goes out and commits a crime? What do you, th- what, what, what was expected to happen? Right. And But you have not culturally built this kid up. You're not socially built this kid up. On some levels, you have not acclimated to his world, let alone him wanting to acclimate to yours. So there, there needs to be more education and collaborative efforts and not just checks being cut for the sake of. Of course, we're late. We're always late, but that's what always. happens when we get rolling. Regime Seabrook, Coulter, Nuanez. Nuanez now, 1029 ESPN Missoula. We're just going to keep on rambling. Death at the wing, the NBA, what happened to a generation of guys that played on the wing, and why does it just continue to happen? We'll keep it, you keep it, right here, 1029 ESPN Missoula. We'll be right back after this. The world may have slowed down, but it didn't stop. 
If you're back on the road and traveling to Missoula, we invite you to give Missoula's Wingate a try. We love our regular corporate guests and offer fantastic service, great year-round rates, and clean and comfortable rooms that will keep you coming back. While you're here, you can rack up the Wyndham Rewards points for free nights or airline miles. And starting in July, you can release some steam in our newly expanded fitness room. The team at Missoula's Wingate would love to make you feel at home Definitely in contention for some of the best music we've ever had on Nuanas now. Young show, only about five months old, but regardless, thanks to Reese in the back for even further curating the already requested playlist. We do this, get a little bit more funky when our good buddy Regime Seabrook is here, and he is right now with me, Coulter Nuanas. It is Nuanas now, 1029 ESPN Missoula. Maybe you're watching it on TV, SWX Montana Television. We've been talking about all sorts of broad topics. Time to talk about another one. So the, the the entry point, the news of the day, is sad news. Terrence Clark, Kentucky basketball star who was expected to be a lottery pick in this upcoming draft. He died in a car accident last night at the age of 19 years old. Uh, just horrible. Uh, really tough one to swallow because he had his whole life in front of him. By all accounts, it sounds like it was nothing but a tragedy. And so that is uh, about the worst way you can go when you are so young. But this leads me back to something I mentioned at the top of the show, but want to hash out a little bit more right now. I started listening to this podcast called Death at the Wing. And the, the evolution of the NBA in general is one that I find absolutely fascinating, particularly under the leadership of David Stern post-ABA-NBA merger. But you have this league that's been in its existence, in its origin, since the 40s. And during the 40s, 50s, 60s, outside of Madison Square Garden and, and uh, you know, maybe the, whatever the arena in Minneapolis at the time was, a largely irrelevant sport. The NBA was not nationally televised. The NBA was not, uh, NBA finals were not a big deal. They were not on network TV. They were tape delayed. There were a lot of reasons for it, but I mean, there's it's part of the mystique behind early Wilt Chamberlain or or... Bill Russell, uh, you know, even going back further, George Mike and Bob Pettit. It started to gain a little bit of traction in the early 1970s. What year were you born, Regime? A gentleman never tells. <laughs> so we're, have, have the New York Knicks won a championship in your lifetime? Well, I'm, now here's the reveal. I, they won it the year before I was born. I was going to say, so, okay, so there it is. So, so, yeah. But there was a moment in time where the NBA was getting a little traction because the New York Knicks were the best team in the NBA. In the NBA. And yeah. you had guys like Dave DeBusher and, and Clyde Frazier and Bill Bradley, and they won a couple of championships Earl in the, the, Pearl. In the Earl, Earl Monroe in the early 1970s. But then this massive collision occurs. The First of all, the ABA is gaining traction. It's gaining notoriety. And then the ABA and the NBA merge. And it was a, a confluence of cultures because there were some guys that, that maybe embraced the street culture, a guy like Clyde Frazier. But by and large, the NBA was, was known as more of the buttoned-up, not-that-exciting, corporatized starch league. The yeah. ABA was more flair. You know, slam dunks yeah. were allowed. They were the first ones of the dunk contest. Uh, the uh, the merger then kind of sparked the addition of the three-point line, all, all these things that came from the merger. But... In, in, when the merger occurred in 1976, then basically the next five years, until the rise of Magic Johnson and then subsequently Michael Jordan, that the, the, the post-New York Knicks until the rise of Magic Johnson became pretty much a disaster from a... Uh, 
like you were just talking about, cultural acclimation standpoint. White America didn't want to watch the NBA. Black America didn't have a lot of access to to gain to, to boost the popularity of the merged league. And then you have this massive influx of drugs in the United States of America, particularly in the urban areas, particularly in the projects of the urban areas. Absolutely. And so now all of a sudden you have this generation of athletes, and that's what this Death at the Wing is about, is some of the guys that lived on the edge and how it affected their careers, guys like David Thompson, Michael Ray Richardson, and then guys that it cost them their careers, whether it's Len Bias overdosing on cocaine or Ricky Berry, same circumstance, a drug overdose, or a guy like Benji Wilson who out of none of his own um, responsibility. I mean, Benji Wilson, for those who don't know the story, was from Chicago. He was the number one player in the country coming out of high school, and he got mixed up in a gang confrontation that had nothing to do with him. He was just walking down the street, got mixed up, and he gets shot, and he's and he gets killed, number one player in the country. So this whole podcast is all about that. But I just wanted to hash this out with you a little bit more because that was a strange, not to go down a dark road, but it is sort of a dark time. Uh, th- there was just so many things culturally going on in America in that time as well, and so I think that it may be dr- detrimental and directly affected a lot of the black men that played in the NBA at the time, more than maybe any other uh, portion of the population in terms of the the, magn- the magnifying glass they were under. Well, when we go to the societal aspect, when you're talking about those years, think about this, man. We were coming on, this is the first toe step off of the close, not the closing, but some of the closing of civil rights, right? We're coming off sure. the heels of Vietnam. Sure. We, 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 this country goes through this crazy heroin and cocaine explosion for sure and as you said just more so in the inner cities than than ever before but even then you had polarizing effects cocaine if you look historically was glamorized and who was doing cocaine rich white people heroin was poured into the ghetto and who was doing that poor black and hispanics right so like we again go back to our conversations earlier this polarizing effect of what the drug was now you add the culture of sports within and the same thing happened. Uh, you, you had guys coming come to practice high as kites. But yet the, 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 the play, the performance, the pizzazz of that is what the people wanted. They didn't want starchy. They didn't want button down. That was boring basketball. You know what I'm saying? So when you have this crazy counterculture going through what we consider mainstream culture, it was going to happen. It was going to happen. And then when you start talking about some of the salaries that some of these guys started making afterwards, on top of that drug explosion, on top of the counterculture backlash, a lot of these young guys were set up to fail just due to circumstance and environment alone. It's easy to forget because drugs and the war on drugs have been such a part of the American narrative lifestyle unfortunately but it's it's just been the truth for the for the duration of our lifetimes oh absolutely but that's not necessarily how it was before this is, i'm not saying there was no drugs in america in the 1800s there certainly was oh, absolutely. but there wasn't the infiltration of the drug trade on a national and international level and the allure of the money that could be made selling illicit drugs as there was in the mid 70s through the, the, all throughout the 80s. Where specifically did you grow up and do you remember this phenomenon, uh, this this horrific phenomenon occurring in your lifetime? I grew up in New York City. Right. Like I split time between Brooklyn and Hell's Kitchen. So one of the main places like that main was places. Like I, rem- I remember going to 42nd Street and there were drugs and, and ladies of the night and you stepped over homeless people or heroin addicts on your way, on the way to my small little prep school. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I grew up in the midst of it. I remember Michael Ray Richardson being high as hell outside of Madison Square Garden. Former University of Montana Grizzly. Yeah. Basketball. Yeah. And I, I, re- I remember seeing those guys. I remember P. 
people having what I what's called the heroin knots. And this is this is on 34th Street, right down the block from Madison Square Garden, in front of Macy's, a multi, you know, probably then multi-billion-dollar uh, company. So this stuff was rampant. That's also the time that the social reform in this country uh, gave out. All of a sudden, no one had, no one wanted money for mental health. You know what happened in those 70s and 80s? They opened up all the all the they opened up all the mental health institutions, hospitals. So you had like this perfect recipe for disaster: drugs, newfound money. Homeless, that's where a lot of our homeless population came from till this day. We're from, <laughs> but we can it, wax it, it, becomes an, it becomes an institution. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the effect on the NBA, that's the point of this conversation, was certainly profound. We're going to continue to talk about this. we got to get out, though. One more break. Keep it right here. Nuana is now, <laughs> 102.9. Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more. Playing with our toys, M1, cause everybody's gotta have fun Under the sun, under the sun I'm so up, so up when I get down The disco theme with the monster sound I want to get fucked up we're keeping it heavy around here today. We're trying to keep it light with all the good rap music. We're trying to keep it uh, interesting with the, the banter and the commentary. But we were kind of going down a depressing hole there, man. I don't know. Do we want to keep hashing out the way that cocaine killed the NBA? I don't know. <laughs> no, we, we can totally flip it <laughs> up. We got we to go somewhere good in yeah, the weekend. It's Nuanas. It's Nuanas now, 0290 ESPN Missoula. SWX Montana Television. Hope everybody had a great week. Thanks so much for riding home with us on a Friday. It's been a super fun week, super fun. I mean, it's a super fun gig, man. I get to have some of my best buddies in the studio at Rap Bound Sports. But I always love when Regime Seabrooks swings by, and he'll do this more often on Fridays now, at least through the spring and summer season, because he's got a little more time, not as much coaching to do. Uh, but this will be fun to have you in the chair, my man. And if you miss anything in this show, Man, we were all over the place. I'm not even going to tell you. Just go listen to it on the podcast if you want to hear anything more. We did the best villains in sports. We talked about the priorities of fitness in modern society, especially during the COVID times. We talked about the fracturing of college sports and what it might mean for the future of Division One athletics. We talked about Death at the Wing, a fascinating podcast series, sort of analyzing the, the cultural... Um, acclamation of, of NBA players and the merger in the uh, 1970s of the ABA and the NBA and and drugs and and uh, racial tension and all sorts of things but it was it was fun having you here my man you got any thank pl- you got any big plans this weekend what's going on uh I just had surgery today on the foot man so I'm I just, know I'm laying for low. those that didn't hear he's got a uh, little hobo spider bite so everybody Send the good energy, get the good wishes to Regime Seabrook. He's going to need to need to heal up. Just laying low. My son's having a little sleepover with a friend tomorrow. He and I are going to probably have a little sleepover in the basement tonight and like build maybe build a sheet fort or something like that and play some Legos, maybe watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I don't know. Just hang out. Gotta love it. Yeah, man. Well, uh, thanks so much for being with us here on Nuanas Now. I'm Coulter Nuanas. I'm going to be hitting the road to Bozeman, so I'll have be safe, one brother. last uh, one last. 
Hoorah. Yeah, one last spring football event to cover. It's been so long since football. Now I've gotten to go to football games for three Saturdays in a row. I'll be at this one at Montana State, an inter-squad scrimmage. But we'll have full reaction and comments from Brent Vegan. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.